All right. Welcome to another episode of Comic Book Squares. We just want to remind everybody about our big contest for 2023. We're going to help find a new writer in comic books. We're partnered with Dream Foundry on this. And uh, just remember, the deadline is the end of September to get your uh, stories in. So to kick the show off, my name's Shane. I'm Paul. I'm Ben. And I'm Mike. Let's get this show started. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of Comic Book Squares. Um, we have a, a real special guest on today. Uh, Ken, can you do us a flavor and kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, my name's Ken Brown. I'm the owner of Drawn Comics with my wife, Susan Brown, and an incredible staff of people that keep us going. We have been open since 2005 in downtown Glendale, Arizona, and we are a full-service comic shop. We love the world of comics everything from marvel dc any independent that we can get a hand on and uh graphic novels trade paperbacks we don't do a whole lot with card games or video games but we try to be a pure comic shop as much as we can be we have a great toy department too upstairs as well that revolves around the world of comic books but um yeah just love comics since i was nine years old and still get to do it today which is a blessing and an honor Thanks for having me on, guys. That's awesome. Oh, that's very, yeah, very, very cool. Well, I'm, you know, obviously, I full disclosure, I go to Ken's shop, um, and it's a, it's absolutely a fantastic shop. Um, you know, the great thing is Ken is just such a warm, welcoming person. Every time you know people come into the store, you know, he's just uh, he you, makes you want to come back just because of Ken's Ken's smile and uh, his warmth whenever you come in is fantastic. So, the, the part of the reason why I wanted to have you on the show was, um, you know. The whole reason for this YouTube show's existence is, um, you know, our support of the independent comic book world. And and I know that that's something that's important to you because I, I see a lot of independent, you know, artists come into your store. So just can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your support of the indie world and, and why you do that? I uh, have them come into your store like on a regular basis. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's a perfect day to be talking about this, too, as well, because Russ Kazmierzak is one of the most indie Arizona guys around. And uh, he's doing his 24-hour comic day from our front window. And he sets up at 1 p.m. today and goes 24 hours straight creating another amazing Arizona comics issue. And it's the seventh time doing it, which blows me away. The commitment that he has making independent comics. But the fact he chooses to do it from our window shows how much we love and support the community of indie comics as well. And it's a... It's just, it's cool to see the future of comic books, whether it's, you know, being on movie screens or from people just loving comics themselves and creating their own stories. It's a form of, you know, artwork that's never going to go away. And it's awesome to see the indie market be so strong as it is today. And we, we like to celebrate that at Drawn to Comics too, and have our support by doing the different events. If someone comes to me and says, Hey, I've got a comic. Will you carry it? And I go, how about I have you set up in the store and you showcase your book to the community because nobody can explain this better than you. And if someone asks me a question, I want the 110% feedback coming from the people that create the book because one, they create that bond with you because they get to meet the person that creates the book. And that's what drives conventions nationwide is people getting the opportunity to meet their famous or most favorite creators. And you get to be in that presence yourself through our shop. 
And then people, and I hope, will never forget your book after meeting you because you have that passion because you created it. So that's something we really try to contribute in the community as much as possible. Anytime someone presents us with a project they're working on, let's get you your spotlight in the in their store. And it's right by the front door and they get a table, no charge. They get to showcase their work, their art, their comics, whether they're completed or just the plans. We want to see you get out there and be creative. And that's what we've been trying to be supportive of since we opened. That's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> uh that you give them that not just the opportunity to have their book in the store, but they, they can come in and, and speak to it. I mean, that's, I think that's every indie creator's <laughs> dream is to be able oh, to like, you, you know, explain the whole, the whole thing to everybody because yeah, you're right. They're, they're the ones who are passionate about it and created it. Now they get a chance to not only showcase their book, but be there to, you know, talk to folks about it and be the face of it. So that's an awesome opportunity. Thank you. Very cool. That. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, you're obviously your passion for comic books, you know, like you said, from from, you know, early age to to today and just being immersed in, in that culture and everything. What were, uh, you know, some of the indie books that you may have enjoyed when uh, when you were growing up? Wow, dude, some of the favorite indie books, I, I will be honest, I was more of like a Marvel and DC guy growing up. Mm -hmm. But as I said, too, there were certain things I like to read. I mean, it was it was kind of spoofs of marvel and dc books like uh, men was like that the x-men with dark gene do you know what i mean it was like a spoof of the dark phoenix saga yeah. so i remember reading that one <laughs> right, specifically right. i'm going oh my gosh this is so fun it's almost like mad magazine satiring x-men even though it wasn't it was an independent black and white book trolling the dark phoenix saga and i thought that was hilarious dude and just you know seeing the different things like oh my gosh dark gene's back again because they couldn't obviously call it dark phoenix or you know, X-Men, right. but they just took out the hyphen and they were allowed to publish it, which was awesome. Um, other ones right. I remember reading too as like growing up too is Liberty Projects, which if I remember correctly, mm. was by um oh my gosh, dude, it wasn't Mark Wade. It was I think I'm not Peter David's early stuff. Do you remember who wrote Liberty oh, Project okay. back in the day? And also that, Yeah, uh, I think you might be right. Grendel, Matt Wagner's Grendel. I was a big fan oh, of Matt yeah. Wagner's Grendel Love as well, Grendel. too. And Mage, The Hero Discovered yes. by Comico. Yep. And uh, Elementals by Comico. Because John uh, Byrne did a cover yes. of that, too, as well. And that was fun. Yes. Let me see. Doomsday Absolutely. Plus One. Because I was a big creator fan as a kid. And that's why I named Store Drawn to Comics. Was like that. Without uh, the artwork, they're just novels. Which is great. You know, novels are awesome, yeah. but when you get the art and the right. literature into one piece, I'm on fire. And, uh, but yes. uh, yeah, dude, it's like that. Anything that really drew my attention, eye wise, was super awesome. Robotech, too, as well, because Comico was doing that back in the day. Yes. Um, yeah. Let me see, too. Like Alien Worlds by, I think it was Eclipse Comics back in the day, too. Was it Alien Worlds yeah. to Eclipse yeah. back in the day? Um, yeah, like yep. just try to all kinds of different things because yeah marvel and dc were most in the forefront but it was fun to try other yeah. stuff i was a little bit picky as a kid i didn't read many black and white comics because i loved mm. the full completed product so i gotta be honest dude, right. i was stupid i missed the teenage mutant turtles craze um i remember oh, trading comics yeah. with like with kids in the neighborhood and i had one kid that i knew had turtles number one and the I had Fantastic Four like, number nah. 12, which was the first thing versus Hulk. <laughs> oh, and he wanted to trade yeah. me 
the turtles number one for the fantastic four number 12 and i go dude this is the first battle between the thing and the hulk what are you talking about man there's no way this is going to even trade and now i look back and I'm going oh my gosh dude i passed on the first turtles number one uh, and yeah fantastic four number 12 still man. part of comic history with stan lee type of stuff but it's an icon turtles right. number one and it's uh yeah. it was it was a fun story back you know eighth grade just sitting there and you know trading comics with friends and even back then you know i was still oblivious to how big turtles would become back in 1986 and 87 when that was happening right. 84 you know was when turtles came out obviously so oh, yeah. turtles were only two or three years old and you know that fantastic Four number 12 was from like 1962 63 right and so you're kind of going dude this book's already yeah. got 20 years of legs i don't know about this turtles dude it's right. like it's oversized it won't fit my comic box what am i supposed to do with this dude flash i'll throw flash in a usf football set and remember the United States Football League, you guys? He had the yeah, first do, United I States do, Football League trading card set. And he was willing to throw that in, oh, too. Wow. And I'm saying, come on, dude, this league is not even in existence wow. anymore. <laughs> so, unfortunately, my foresight's morally about, like, what I like to read more than what something may be worth, obviously. Oh, <laughs> right, right. Do you oh, still if we have your your comics like you were talking about you know collecting since you know you were a kid you some of them i had my alpha some, flight like, collection issues. ironically and that's the only thing i still oh, have from oh, my childhood right. was i kept my alpha flight collection because stupidly when i was in eighth grade i said oh my gosh i'm going into high school i got to start growing up and stop reading comics well oh, yeah. if it wasn't for todd mcfarlane i would not be doing comics right now and the way that todd mcfarlane really? drew oh, yeah. spider-man because i was a big black suit spider-man fan and that's what got me yeah. into comics as a child. So I used to watch Spider-Man as Amazing Friends and like Spider-Man, Firestar, yeah. and Iceman. And when I was yep, at yeah. 7-Eleven, used to, you know, 1984, playing the Star Wars arcade game and getting a Slurpee and going into <laughs> the, the magazine rack. Do you remember Cartoons Magazine? Yeah. It was oh, like, yes. like Mad Magazines yep. for Hot Rods. Yep. And I used to want yep. to be a car designer as a kid. So I love looking at that because it was cartoony versions of real car designs. And so yeah. I would pick that up and read that on a regular basis. But then they had comic books at the 7-Eleven right next to it. And Spider-Man number 258 mm -hmm. was out that month. And it had like Peter Parker, the guy I knew from Spider-Man's Amazing Friends, being pulled between his costume and something that was a black and white you know image mm -hmm. of like with the Spider-Man looking face on it with all black and white. And I'm going, what is this? And I started reading through and I go, yeah. that is how Spider-Man should look. That's awesome. I think that's one of the coolest concepts yeah. I've ever seen as like, you know, a nine-year-old seeing that. That was like the coolest thing ever, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah. you know, it started like expanding on into other things. And I saw Secret Wars was happening at the time, too. And I go, oh, cool. He's still in the mm. black suit in this 9, 10, 11 and 12. And, you know, by the next mm. issue, he was in the red and blue suit again. And I'm going what in the world is happening dude so i wanted to suck up as much black and white stuff suit wise as possible and the cartoon spider-man's right. amazing friends never had it on and eventually right. i discovered the comic shop in my neighborhood and i asked them it's like mm. dude it's like how come they don't have that black and white suit on spider-man's amazing friends and they go because that show was canceled uh. two years ago <laughs> it was stopped being made in 1982 <laughs> And I'm going, seriously? It's like, so how am I going to get more black and white suit Spider-Man? He goes, well, there's two options. There's continuing to read Secret Wars, and they're going to put it back in the uh -huh. suit coming up inside of Amazing Spider-Man and Web Spider-Man and Spectacular Spider-Man. 
and you can get back issues. Right. And I'm going, okay, what are back issues? That's like they're older editions where the comics had the storyline that you're looking for. And I'm kind of going, okay. So I learned what a back issue was right away there. You know, can you show me some of those? And they showed me Spider-Man number 252, which was homaged Amazing Fantasy 15. And it's Spider-Man in the black and white suit swinging across the cover with two people under his arm rather than one person that was in the Amazing mm-hmm. Fantasy 15 cover. And I go, oh my gosh, wow, that's oh. awesome. I, I would like to buy that. And it said $4 on it. And I'm going, it says 60 cents on the cover. I've never paid more than 60 cents for a comic book, book much less 75 cents for the Secret Wars. Why is this $4? And they go, because that's right. what market value is on this book right now. And I'm going, market value? How do I know you're not ripping me off? Because I'm just a kid. I got paper route money. Right. So, you know, I don't have a whole lot of money. I can save up for this now. And he goes, well, there's something called right. Comics Value Monthly. And Comics Value mm-hmm. Monthly is a guide that the nation looks at on how to price comics that become hard to find like this one has become or very popular in the marketplace. Yeah. And I go, can I buy that magazine? He goes, sure, you can subscribe to it if you want to. And I go, please, I, I love it. And so that's got me going down the wormhole of what collecting comics was all about. Oh. And ironically, like one of the stores I discovered shortly after that was all about comics. And then it just blew up because I saw adults. Yep collecting comics and that's when i was in seventh and eighth grade and that was around the same time mcfarland started on amazing spider-man and my jumping Mm. off point was going to be spider-man 300 and this was back in 1987 when i was in eighth grade because 88 was my freshman year of high school and i saw okay 300 is my jumping off point because they're going to put them back in the red and blue costume permanently was what more or less the story was going to be and venom was going to be the black suit and I'm going, dude, that's like a mm-hmm. you know jumping off point for me because the reason why I started collecting comics was because of that black and white suit and how cool it looked on Spider-Man. And now as a kid, like, you know, when you're pre-pubescent or teenage years where you get more or less ticked off mm-hmm. by anything, do you know what I mean? Like at that age point, yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, you know what, dude? Marvel's kind of told me I don't matter. Because I like this black and white Spider-Man suit, and they just made it a villain. And I don't want my right. favorite thing in comics to be a villain, so that was going to be my jumping off point. And so three mm. 300 on the last page, when Spider-Man put back on the red and blue suit, and you saw the way Todd McFarlane drew it, from all of a sudden like getting rid of almost every comic in my collection except Alpha Flight, to I need to go get 298, 299 again, and I need to start going forward with collecting Spider-Man again. And it kind of got me back on the road of collecting comics. So the only thing I really kept up to that point was my John Byrne Alpha Flight collection. That's the only thing I still have from my childhood is Alpha Flight 1 through 59, because after a while, too, as well, I stopped collecting Alpha Flight because I felt like it got too far away from John Byrne's plan Mm -hmm. for the team into more of a supernatural yeah. element where the characters lost focus and it was just the villain of the month type of thing again. Yeah. But that's kind of a yeah. long story so short that, or short story long, however you want to put it, but <laughs> that was my uh, comic book origin story, I guess you would say. Yeah. I absolutely love that. All those, uh, <laughs> bringing up all those old Comico uh, titles when, you know, the indies that you were talking about just brings me back because I, I, I read all of those ones that you were talking about. Uh, I, I yes. still have my Elementals and I still have my Grendel. Um, Outstanding. Yeah, I, I love all that stuff. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen your That's collection. So cool. You brought it into me one time, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, or at least some of the keys. I can imagine how <laughs> deep it is now. You still have all the original stuff from the 80s, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> too many too many things I've got in my collection, for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, the, um, going back to your story, you talked about this comic shop, the, the person in the comic shop who, like, walked you through what back issues were and and how this worked and that worked in the pricing guides and stuff um is that something you try to emulate now in your own shop is that something you've tried to bring to your own shop of like of like you know trying to engender that that excitement for comics and fan that flame for you know maybe new fans who are coming in yes um i still try to it's hard because there was something that we were kind of spoiled with in the 90s was wizard magazine and I really oh, think Wizard yeah. Magazine spoiled a lot of fans of making it super accessible before the internet. And, you know, it's like there was yeah. Overstreet that used to have a monthly magazine, but all it was was like a Beckett. You had like maybe one article and a bunch of prices. And so you had key yeah, things yeah. like that, you know, like first appearance or artist or a carrot arrow that pointed up or a carrot arrow that pointed down telling you like mm. why the comic was important. Or they'd sometimes, do you know what I mean? It was not very in-depth yeah. through like Overstreet and Comics Value Monthly at the time. And then Wizard came along and turned it into like Entertainment Magazine. Do you know what I mean? It's like they talk about the artists. Yeah, they talk yeah. about the writers. They talk about what you should be reading before it came out. It wasn't like a previews guide for retail owners. It was a guide mm -hmm. for fans. And so you didn't yeah. have to wait for it to show up in the store. You could plan on it. And it's mm. it was a mixed bag of tricks because I kind of feel Wizard created the collapse of the 90s in a way. But it also mm. inspired so many people to look at the world of comic books, if that makes any sense. Yeah. You know, it was no yeah. longer for just comic fans. It was accessible on every Walden books. It was you know available mm -hmm. at barnes and noble borders do you know what i mean like everywhere where finer magazines were sold comics weren't always there mm -hmm. but wizard was and you had yeah. the opportunity to take a look at comic books and see if it was something that would entertain you or interest you and it did interest a lot of people because they looked at it from a common person perspective rather than a comic book fan perspective in a way and then knew how to hit that comic book fan hard and in in easy where we would be entertained like that the bart sears how to draw segments and the mm -hmm. the wizard hot 10 list and the interviews with the big time creators before their books came out and it was um, mm -hmm. in full color they had a mail-in section where they published people's letters with their art on it and it mm. was so submersive for not only the common person, but the diehard fan. I mean, the price guide had pictures of some of the hot books in there. And they had, yeah. you know, like they highlighted pink for it going down or no, pink for it being hot and blue for being a cold if the book went down in value. And, yeah. you know, they had their yeah. top 10 list of movers and shakers. They had a top 10 list <laughs> right by the price guide of the hottest artists in the industry. So it was very educational and informative for comic fans and newbies alike. And as I said to it, unfortunately, yeah. some of the newbies didn't care about the, the industry. They cared about the dollar signs 
And when you have mm-hmm. people buying a bunch of copies of books where the print runs hit, like, you know, over a million copies again, or 2 million copies and people that are buying that many copies equal about maybe 15 to 10 to 20% of the total audience who have the book have like 80% of the copies. That's the readers getting their one or two copies and then investors getting about 80% of the market. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's a, mm-hmm. it kind of become a hoarding issue. And so the values yeah. were being overinflated way too quickly. You know, like spawn number one selling mm-hmm. for 40 bucks, 1993. It's hard to get that today for a spawn number one. And it's 30 years old. Right. And so it was eventually the market had to fall out a little bit because the people that were hoping to sell these, the fans got their copies and then the people hit that saturation point. I'm not paying any more than 40 bucks for this book. And the prices started going back down and people were taking losses on this. And so what happens? All these people leave the industry and go try to find other ways to make money for themselves. And, you had the market crash mm-hmm. that Marvel went bankrupt in the nineties. And obviously there was the oh, movie right. company mm-hmm. acquisition of Marvel too. I can't, was it new line cinema or who bought mm-hmm. Marvel back in the nineties? Do you remember who bought them? Mm-hmm. Like, I, do was not. A movie I know company. they were going around. I know they were going around Hollywood at that point, trying to sell off uh, all of their assets uh, for, you know, that's why Sony still owns uh, Spider-Man and right. okay. uh, they just got the Hulk back from universal because yes, they sold off that. the Hulk uh, world. And, and then Fox obviously had um, fantastic four and X-Men. Yes. And uh, so when, when Disney bought, you know, the, all of Marvel, it was a, a bit of a struggle to get all of those properties essentially back in their own, under their own roof. That's yes. why they had to buy, fox fox studios as a whole because they weren't going to part with uh the x-men and fantastic four so it's like well we'll just buy the entire fox and fox studios then which yeah so it's uh yeah it it was a mess back you're 100 percent right but you know it's interesting you bring up wizard because you know we we interview you know artists from all over the, the world and um the love for wizard is still strong to this day in a lot yes. of people. It's, it's amazing that that magazine uh, had such an impact on, on a lot of people. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I know. Like I was really, you know, I'd been into comics since I was a kid too, but it was around my same thing around my uh, teenage years, early teenage years that I was like, uh, you know, I'm too cool for comics now. <laughs> you know, hit it, it things that I weird. Hit in my closet, and I was like, I'm too cool for this. But then uh, I walked into a store, you know, like uh, in the mall, and there's a Wizard magazine, and I was like, I'm going to check this out, you know. And I was pouring through, and then all of a sudden, it just it reignited that that passion again for yes. comics. And next thing, I'm subscribing to Wizard, and then I got a pool box at my local comic store again and yeah and i was you know fascinated with the world of comics again it did help with that you know it's like I, to your point it's uh it kind of helped the industry you know a little bit and then it also the thought you know toward the yeah. end was uh uh helping with its downfall <laughs> at least with the like you know some of the investment sides and all yeah that, yeah yeah it's like that I yeah, when it, become, uh, when it I becomes more about credit. money that's the hard part. I mean, I said too, the hobby is no, a hobby ahead, first. And like, I think when people start turning it yeah. too much into monetary, the hobby side of it is always there, but the people looking at it monetarily get bored if they don't see what they're looking for, or they're not seeing their return on investment that they're looking for. 
And so it's like with yeah. any type of hobby, dude, like model plane making or, you know, or uh, coin collecting or stamp collecting, there's always going to be the hobby side of it. But the monetary side of it will make an impact both positively or negatively based off of mm -hmm. whatever they're trying to accomplish. And if you're just enjoying it as a hobby, you're never going to be affected in that, in my opinion. Do you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. you're going to enjoy the hobby because you're not wasting money buying anything because you're buying it usually at the entry level price. And, you know, whether it's mm -hmm. like even Star Wars toys, do you know, if you're picking up a Star Wars toys off the pegs for retail, you're enjoying that for what it is. It may be worth 10 to 20 mm -hmm. times or 100 or 1000 times if you did it back in the 70s, if you kept in the package back in that time, or right. it could still be worth 10 to 20 times out of the package at this time because of the market interest has grown Star Wars organically. And the same thing happened with comic books. Once you yeah. started having comic conventions and, you know, meetings where people with the same interest in the hobby get together, it, it starts a natural marketplace for it. It's like, hey, Action Comics number one sold for $100 back in the 1960s. Do you know what I mean? And that kind of like, mm -hmm. wow, dude, this is more than just reading material. There's something to this. And now people pay like $3.2 mm -hmm. plus for Action Comics number one. So it's okay to have yep. both versions of collecting comics. It's just the keeping it as organic as possible, I feel, keeps it healthy rather than it being the tail wagging the dog. Like if there's a top 10 list that changes every week on the internet, that's really not altruistic research. That's just looking at eBay and seeing what comics close the most for that week. And for all due respect, people that do that research, that's a lot of research. And that's another option yeah. for collecting comics. I just don't know how sustaining it is for the long-term person that's really looking to invest in comics because they're always chasing their tail trying to get that book either before it comes out and hope it's going to be on a hot 10 list or after they see the hot 10 list and it already skyrockets out of a viable range for the casual reader or the person that's spending more than market value on it because it's it's a cause and effect relationship of someone seeing that oh wow that book's worth ten dollars i better go buy it and then someone bumps up to fifteen dollars because they see that list and they think that's naturally rising and it may be just be a temporary market spike that goes back down the next week when the new list comes out so with all due respect people that do that i just try to really dive into what's making these comics a good value for you to purchase as a retail owner versus something that may just be a temporary spike that you if you're looking for it to spike more i can't tell you that's going to keep on happening because it may not and it may but likely right. more likely than not it's a temporary spike for your for your money it's a spot yeah, totally agree <laughs> yeah sorry well, well as, as a as there no, 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 no it's no. all good. No, it's all great. Um, well, as a store owner, you know, when you're uh, when you've got to order product for the store, um, you yes. know, going back to kind of the, the indie indie side of things, you know, how, how do you look through the previews guide and decide what indie stuff you're willing to take a chance on that may have not, you know, really hit uh, a big time, you know, uh, like a, something like a sweet tooth where there's a, a, a Netflix show that's related to it. So people are more yes. interested, but like, so indie stuff before that even happens, how do you as a retail owner decide where to spend your, your dollars? Yeah. It's, I like to gauge what my customers already like. 
Do you mean like that? I've got like a lot mm. of customers interested in horror comics right now. It's like there's a huge, seems like an interest mm. level. I don't know if, um, it's because, you know, the Scream movies, you know, getting revived a little bit mm. or um, the Werewolf by Night Disney Plus show went over so well. Oh, Elvira's yeah. mm. making a comeback again, too. And um, Vampirella's mm. made a strong comeback again. But there's also like good stuff like by James Tinian. He's like amazing as oh, a more yeah. or less what I call social fear horror writer. Like he'll look and mm. what's coming on in society that people have like social stigmas about or social fears about whether it be like doomsayers or flat earthers or you know department mm. of truth is one of his major That's titles so that good. way and he did one like <laughs> called the closet that deals with kids fears of a monster in the closet while they sleep a nice house on the lake mm. people that are afraid of the apocalypse and you know this new one called world tree which people like I don't quite understand the dark web, but it's kind of not something for me to explore unless I'm going to get in some kind of trouble. Mm -hmm. And that's what World Tree yeah, is right, about. Right. Like how bad can things get with people going into these fears? And he's great at writing that kind of fiction. So anything by James Tiny and dude, I give it a shot because it's like that he's he's usually nails on his storytelling. Sometimes there may be a flop, but mm -hmm. Um, he's not, he's not just dedicated to DC or, you know, Marvel. He does mm -hmm. a ton of image stuff and other independent stuff. I mean, he's got a website called tiny yeah. onions, which he's doing stuff, you know, all the time on that too. So he's really good at pushing the indie market. So I don't want to just like, you know, plug James tiny in here, but he's like something, if I see that, it's no brainer <laughs> to order from him. But then also like I look right. for other types of horror books that I feel that are mass interest do you know what i mean like there's um mm, antarctic press mm. puts out you know a horror monthly book and dark horse you know obviously hellboy people still consider the horror genre which is funny and um just like a <laughs> like that um haro county anytime something new comes out of that but just like anything that looks to fit in that genre if it's by an indie creator book let me give it a shot see if it sells i'm gonna order five copies if it sells out, then I can reorder more yeah. for the next issue. But then getting people interested in subscribing to it, that's how I've got to more or less grow the um, the orders on those books. It's like sometimes, you know, maybe as low as one or two copies, but I'm pretty sure that I can at least get one or two people to try this because it looks good. And that's part of the beauty of collecting since like 1984 too. It's not just like someone saying, hey, comics are hot right now. I'm going to open a store and hope I do well. I think there's a true mm. like testament to loving the hobby for what it is for a long period of time before seeing like how popular the hobby is in this moment. And I think that will help any comic shop owner that's hoping to open their own shop is show that track record of not only just looking at what's happening in this snapshot of comic history, but become a student of comic books as much as you can i mean i wasn't around mm. the 1930s or 40s when superman or you know batman or captain america and some people if you like hey what's timely comics and i go well, timely comics is what marvel was before it was atlas and they go what was atlas i go mm. atlas was not only a comic publisher in the 1970s by larry lieber stan lee's brother who we gave permission to use the name atlas comics it was a comic that was a transition company between 
timely in Marvel. In fact, if you look at Fantastic Four number one, it'll say Publication Atlas Comics, not Marvel Comics Group. And it's just, you know, mm. I mean, conversations like that, that become a student of this industry, no matter what kind of ups and downs it makes, you'll always be hopefully on the right side of the hills for yourself. Nice. That's I, awesome. I, talking about um, uh, indie creators still, and, uh, you know, it's like you're talking yeah, about I'm your store. What if, if you had uh, an indie creator uh, come to you and ask to come in, what are some... Like, uh, what would you recommend to them as like pros or cons on trying mm. to get into a store, trying to get like trying to talk to you about it? What, like, what are some good things and bad things, you know, of, of some things to avoid and things to try to do if they're speaking to their local comic shop owner about, hey, can I get my book into your store? Yeah, I try to tell people like that. I don't start off buying a whole lot because I used to do consignment. And consignment's like a very hard thing to manage because everybody wants to leave their books with you. And then when you sell them, it's just when it comes to doing like paperwork, it's extra paperwork for yourself that you're so busy doing so many other things. It's like, hey, let me just buy three to five copies off you. And if they sell out, I'm going to reach out to you and buy some more. That's how I used to do it. And then I said, let's start yeah. doing, as I said earlier, let's get you in here. And you bring copies and you mm -hmm. explain what's going on in the story because you know where the story's going. I've just read the one issue you brought me. And so I could just say, hey, here's what mm -hmm. happened this one issue. And if it doesn't hook that person just by me explaining it to them, they're not going to buy the next issue. But having that person right. in front of them and explaining their vision of where the story's going, I don't have that vision. That's their vision. And so that's why I started transitioning into the fact of get yourself in here and share with your passion and they'll see it. Me, I have like so many other things that I need to try to be concerned with. And I don't have that same passion. I'm going to be honest with you that you have for your book because it's not my book. And that's where mm, I think yeah. that's where the benefit of growth through audience of like, I can help you promote and I can help you say, like, Hey dude, you're going to be at this, you know, score at this time. And this is what I know. Here's a link to his website, but I still think like one-on-one -on -one interaction is always the most successful way to promote your indie book because there's so much stuff on the shelf and how are you going to stand out? And hmm. You as yeah. an individual is always what makes you stand out over anything else because they're not, they're talking with any of those creators with other things up the book. I said too, it's like the beauty of indie creators is you get to bring yourself to comic shops all around the valley and not have to mm. worry about waiting for a convention not having to wait for you know it's it's on your time schedule so you as long as you put the work in and you put your comic together and you believe in what you're doing and you're able to more or less share that passion with others that's kind of that first step of success is getting the product done and the second part is getting in front of comic shop owners and saying hey dude I'll, I'll i'll set up and be here for this book and if you have time or if you have space i would love to present my book to you as a public and did just a two-hour you know little presentation where it's almost like appointment tv back in the day it's like not everybody's gonna make it mm -hmm. but the people that are there you have the chance to present yourself to them and that's i think that's irreplaceable as a creator getting your work out there is you got to put your work into getting it in front of people and that's not always easy and don't ever be like 
bias towards one store versus another. It's like, this is your product. If the other store owners don't see that this is your dream to get out there, if they're trying to like more or less create like a loyalty with store owners, that's not good for you as a creator. You need to be out there in as many places as possible because Mm -hmm. not every customer is in every store and they're, you know what I mean? They don't care whether or not this creator showed up in this store or that store. They're excited to see that creator mm-hmm. in front of them. And that's why I said too, like, don't ever limit yourself to like, oh, okay. It's like, you know, I got to stay in the Phoenix market to present my books, you know, call Albuquerque stores, call San Diego stores, mm-hmm. you know, call stores out of your market, Flagstaff, Cab Comics, Corey up in, you know, up in Flagstaff. We did a panel at Phoenix Fan Fusion. Great guy. He loves indie stuff too, as well. And just don't limit yourself to, one store much less one market you know it's if you really believe in your comic and i know it's hard because a lot of people have full-time jobs and they're creating comics and but you know when you have Mm -hmm. your vacation time like you pick out your vacation time i've got seven days off i'm gonna start trying to hit six different stores or you know if it's if you feel like you've Mm -hmm. covered this market well enough like i said too, hit up san diego hit up denver hit up salt lake city you know, make it a fun trip for yourself and you're getting your comic out to mm-hmm. as many different people as possible. Especially if you're doing one or two hour stops, you can hit four or five stores in a different city just by being a good mm-hmm. time manager of yourself. Which is super hard. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Time Absolutely. management is a, you know, something I struggle with every day too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I just feel like that speaks to, you know, who you are as a human being and that you give back uh, to the community and allow them space in the store. You know, I I can't give enough kudos to you. Um, You know, I've said at the beginning of the the episode, I just, uh, I think the world of you and I think you're a a great human being and I'm just been happy to know you all these years. Um, I appreciate it. I I just, I, I I really take, Go ahead. Oh, no, not no apologize for it. You know, it's all good, man. Uh, I, I just want to thank you again for, you know, taking the time out of your day um, to come out of the show. And, and and I think it's really important for indie creators to be able to hear from the retail side of mm-hmm. things, you know, what it takes to mm-hmm. get, uh, you know, their, their book out there. And, and and there is a lot of work, you know, it, like you had said, you know, there are a lot. Most people are working full time jobs and here they are coming home and, and spending time creating art and, um, you know, putting their, their selves out there. And then there's the whole other business side of it is like, well, now I've got to sell it in order to, mm-hmm. you know, try and make a, a living out of this or at least make some money out of it. And, um, you know, there's other skill sets that have to be developed besides the artistic side of it, whether you're writing or you're an artist, um, you know, all the hours and hours that's invested into that mm-hmm. time to develop that skill. Then the other skill is being out there and promoting yourself and being a, the business side of it yes. you know so yeah it, i think this is I'm, I'm so happy that you were able to come on and, and, and share that uh, side of the world can with I, us i really appreciate it um can i make one more suggestion for people too as well i mean you're talking oh, about yeah of course yeah, yeah it's like that I, if stuff, you have yeah. a family member or someone that you know has like been a best friend for years that like believes in your work or if you have the money to spend on a business manager mm-hmm. like Make them do that legwork for you so you can focus on your creating because that's something I see a lot of creators get stuck in the rut of too is that, oh man, it's like I'm not very social with people or I'm spending so much time trying to do my marketing, I'm not getting my work done and, you know, almost Mm -hmm. put together a team around yourself and, you know, if you don't have that money right now, share with them your vision of like, this is where I see it going, here's what I'm going to do, here's what I need are you on board? And then if not, you know, mm-hmm. well, it's just not ready to that point yet. 
or you're going to have your best friend say, yeah, dude, let me do that work for you, dude. Or let me get out there and help you do the work that will help get your book out there. Boy, you're focusing on the creating. Like I've got it. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with like Jason Worthington and Jared McConnell. They used to write and do art together. Jared was the writer and Jason was the artist. Mm. Well, Jared just become Jason's business manager now and just, Hey Jason, you focus on doing artwork and your whatever comic book idea you want to get going. And you know, we've had tons of plots. We've worked together since high school, dude. So it's cool that, you know, you have Mm. a writer that's already got a lot of plots that you've known since, you know, 15, 16 years old together. That's like the perfect relationship. And it seemed like Jason Mm, was my store manager for eight years. And he goes, dude, I want to pursue you know, my, my comic book dream again. Cause I got that inspiration to go do Jay, you go do whatever you want. Cause you're freaking amazing. And you know, you're amazing. Get out there mm-hmm. and do that. And that was like an honor to have him work with us for so long, but it's awesome at comic-con this year, you know, seeing him in his element and just kicking butt. Do you know what I mean? And that was like super cool. And Jared was handling the business side and Jason was able to talk about his art and just talk about what, you know, projects he has coming and, it's the future for him coming true. And I love it. And that's what I want to see for every creator that has that type of dream. And, you know, it's like, those are just, you know, examples of like, he's all over Instagram promoting his stuff and just get out there. And, you know, like that's a, it's, it just chase the dream. I hate saying, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but you know, if you have the dream, pursue it until someone (laughs) tells you, you can't do it anymore. Or you're just like not feeling your dream anymore. Right. That's awesome. Very cool. Hey, Ken, before we we head off here, can you tell our listeners and our our viewers, uh, where can they go to to find out more about your shop? Yeah, we're on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Not as much on Twitter anymore. It's like that. I used to have it where the Instagram would Twitter for me, but something happened where I somehow disconnected in it and then I'm going, okay. I don't remember every single login that I have, and I've lost my Twitter login. <laughs> it's like I can't log back into Twitter to get that connection again. But on our website, dramacomics.com, in person at the store, we're closed on Mondays, but we're open Tuesday through Sundays. And um, just like a, come on in and have a conversation with us or reach out to us through some of the social media outlets and let us know how we can be of help to you and your enjoyment of comics of all kinds. Awesome. Thanks, Ken. And well, and to the listeners and viewers, we'll have all those, uh, the links and stuff in the show notes and in the, the video description on YouTube. Thank you. I Excellent. appreciate it. Well, yeah. once again, thanks so much. I appreciate no it. No problem, you guys. Thanks for having me on, dude. I hope all it right. was a fun show for you guys. Well, thanks again for tuning in. This was just a, a special episode. Um, hopefully we, we can do more of these with, uh, with more retailers. Um, Make sure to hit that like, subscribe, and notification bell so we can keep bringing you content like this, and we'll see you on the next one.